If you had the opportunity to interview evil spirits from hell, what would you ask them? And would you ever expect to gain insight into the nature of life itself from such a conversation? Our newcomer is learning from angelic spirits and has no idea what is about to happen next. Here we are inside Off the Left Eye. This week, Curtis and I finish up our first ever spirit story with Act 3. Next, Dr. Jonathan Rose shares three gems from the new NCE translation about correspondences and the nature of life in this world. Then we travel to 1745, when Swedenborg began a study of Hebrew that would launch him into his theological career this week in history. And to make our weekly goodbye a little easier, we're going to end it with a song. Right, we are finishing our first ever spirit story. Hey, Curtis. Hello, Chelsea. Okay, I've never finished a spirit story before, so (laughs) uncharted territory, but I'm excited. Yep, we'll see how this ends. So last week in Act 2, we, uh, our newcomer, got his answers about delight and then some, Um, (laughs) so much information, and because he talked to those wisdoms who were super straightforward and concise, and then the intelligences, quote-unquote, who had uh, so much to say, which was brilliant, if a little overwhelming. Um, and, and so now he's moving on to this third group, the knowledges, and it's in this next act that we reach the conclusion of the newcomer's journey. So... Let's see what happens. Come on, knowledges. All right, let's see. Do you have any idea what happens? No. All right, great. Well, this will be exciting. No, I think okay. maybe I've read this. I would be surprised if I'd never read it, but eh, yeah. it's, it, there's a lot of Swedenborg. <laughs> so this is like I'm hearing it for the first time. I know. And even when you've read something, like more things come out, especially when you take your time with them. It's like you see things in a new way. So. Oh, well, I know I never read it. Like we, we're reading it because yes. the, if, if anyone wants to tune into the previous episode, I basically had a <laughs> right. spaz attack on air. Yes, that's great. So, all right, act three. The newly arrived spirit was brought to the third group, the spirits who conduct research on results. They are called, capital K, knowledges. They said... Go down into the lower earth and go up into the higher realm. In them, you will perceive and sense the delights of heaven and hell. So, first of all, they're saying, they're these knowledges, and they're just saying, explore for yourself, you know, like, get get the data. And I wonder if he even thought, like, wait, can I do that? You know? Yeah. <laughs> also, this... I paid this consulting firm to go tell me <laughs> to go learn it myself. Yeah, right. <laughs> And so, at that point, dun-dun-dun-dun, however, the ground suddenly yawned wide at some distance from them. Up through the chasm came three devils, who were visibly lit up by the delight that comes from what they love. So, major plot twist happening here. The angels, who were accompanying the newly arrived spirit, perceived that it was not by coincidence that the three devils had come up just then. 
the angels called out to the devils, don't come any closer, but from where you are, tell us something about what delights you. So I'm going to pause there too, because that, you know, I think Swedenborg is trying to say here that nobody really expected that thing to happen. It sounds so like, oh yeah, cue the devils, you know, coming up from the lower earth. Yes. <laughs> but they surprise them. And I also don't know exactly who these angels are because it says these angels who were accompanying the newly arrived spirit and this newly arrived spirit has an angelic spirit who is his guide, but these angels, I wonder if they're like other angels that just kind of like have been there, but now are kind of fully manifesting themselves or something. I'm just really not sure. Yeah, it's a great point. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you pointed out that they... It doesn't, it's probably, the dynamic was not as peaceful as it sounds in Swedenborg's writings. I, I feel like perhaps as a function of the really high level perspective he ended up getting, the providence-soaked outlook that he had, yes, yes. he r often, almost always, writes about really fantastical, dramatic things in a way that leaves them feeling pretty sanitized and <laughs> yes. tame. Even <laughs> right. you have to like dive into numbers of his journal of spiritual experiences to understand that he's describing a really dramatic scene in which he's being attacked by these evil spirits and, and they're trying to yeah. kill him. But it just, the way he says it just sounds like, okay, it was, they, they did this and they did that. There's no drama in it. Just like right. here, right. I, you, you could just read and quickly think, oh, it was all this sort of uh, preordained uh, amusement park ride. But it, yeah, I think you're absolutely right that that these devils popping up was not something that the protagonist group was expecting at all, but because they're angels, they know, well, we got it. That's it. Let's roll with it. Isn't that, I know. And I love that, that the angels are like, oh, wait, hang on. Before anybody freaks out and thinks we're being attacked, let's, like you say, let's roll with it. Let's ask these devils, you know, like create a boundary, but then we're going to say, hey, will you tell us what delights you? You know, like they trust that it's just this opportunity so that it's so interesting. a different way of seeing the world where those yeah. evil spirits they're just feeling like yeah we got out we we tried <laughs> to do this and we got out but there's this angelic perspective that knows okay you're 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 here for this reason that actually the reason has brought you here so to be able to say okay play your part play your part is is a way the angels can see these events but nobody who's not in the angelic mindset sees events like that. And it's kind of a cool to think about thinking about life that way. Yes. They perceived that it was not by coincidence that this was happening right then. And, but for everybody else involved, it is playing out in real time. You know, they don't know what's going to happen next. So here are these three devils and here's what they reply. First, the angel says, tell us something about what delights you. It is important to know, they replied, that all people, whether labeled good or evil, have their own delight. The so-called good people have theirs, and the so-called evil people have theirs. What do you take delight in? The angels asked. What is delightful to us, they replied, is whoring, taking revenge, cheating, <laughs> and speaking blasphemy. <laughs> if only people were so straightforward. Yeah, I got hobbies. Yeah. And then, and then the angels reply, what are those delights like for you exactly? The angels asked. The devils replied that their delights were sensed by others as resembling the stench of excrement, 
the reek of dead bodies, and the smell of stagnant urine. Are those things actually delightful to you? The angels asked. Very much so, the devils replied. Some self-awareness there. But they, they're like, uh, well, other people say it smells terrible and you probably can smell us right now. So Yeah, <laughs> but we like it. And then the, end, the angels say, then you are like the filthy little creatures that live in those substances, said the angels. <laughs> Burn. <laughs> if we are, we are, the devil said. But those things give our noses intense pleasure. And then the angels continue. Well, do you have anything further to add? Yes, they replied. Everyone is allowed to have her or his delight, even if it is of the most unclean kind, as others call it, provided she or he does not attack good spirits and angels. But because our delight makes it absolutely impossible to resist attacking them, We are thrown into workhouses where we suffer many hard things. Being restrained and withdrawn from our delight causes the so-called torment of hell, which is profound inner pain. So that is so packed with interesting information. I was just going to say that same thing. It's a parallel, if I'm not mistaken, to... He recounts this this same encounter at the end of Divine Providence, the, the famous, forgive me for including the rest to fill out the rest of the page. Yeah, I don't know if it's exactly the same conversation or not. That's interesting. It's very close if it's not exactly the same. They yeah. they, they list, I think, different things that yep. they love. I don't know if whoring is in the other one. But yeah, but yeah it's, it's very similar. But there's some detail here that he includes about the the nature of what hellish torment is, which is essentially... You can't have what you want anymore because you went and did the thing you're not allowed to do. Yeah. And so now you're you're without your your joy and all those negative things. Yes, and that the the clincher is like you know, you can you can have delight in anything as long as it doesn't involve attacking good spirits and angels, but then they recognize that their delight just is all about attacking good spirits and angels, <laughs> you know? So they, that's what is aligning them with hell. So it's like, you know, there's such a spectrum of delight. You know, you can sort of wonder, uh, is what I'm delighting in, is it making me want to attack other people? You know, <laughs> and if so, then like, don't do it. <laughs> well, just pragmatically, let's throw the morality of it out for a second. Mm-hmm. Do you really want to cultivate a joy in something that people are never going to let you do. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way, no society is ever going to say, okay, you can kind of pick one of us off once in a while and attack us. Yes. <laughs> of course, of course you're going to be pushed outside of that and restrictions are going to be placed on you because your joy, you, you picked the wrong thing to fall in love with. Yes. So the angels go on. Why do you attack people who are good? the angels asked. We can't help it, the devil said. A kind of rage comes over us every time we see any angel and sense the Lord's divine sphere around that angel. Then you are also like animals, we said. The an- We said, wow, wait, that, that surprised me. Because <laughs> I've been wondering where's Swedenborg and all of this. But he's along with this newcomer too. And yeah. that him and these angels... 
or or at least these angels on behalf of the rest of them are having this interaction with these evil spirits. They, so, have you been Swedenborg? Have you been there the whole time? Yeah. <laughs> so soon afterward, when they noticed, oh, this is amazing too. So soon afterward, when they noticed the newly arrived spirit with the angels, so as if the angels have been kind of like, you know, standing in front of the newcomer to not let the evil spirits see him. A diabolical rage came over them, which looked like a burning fire of hate. Therefore, to prevent their doing any harm, they were thrown back into hell. Interesting. The the parallel passage that I'm thinking of, I believe, doesn't mention the newcomer, that in that conversation, it's the fact that Swedenborg says, you're like animals then, that really gets them rageful. And they get super angry. That's I'm going to have to go back and compare those two. That's so interesting. There's an interesting bit in there where it says these these devils are very articulate about what moves them yes. they know what's going on inside of them they they're and they're very ready and i think that, i guess that's a feature of being a spirit is you're in harmony you know you've got yourself pretty figured out right but there's an interesting point where they are asked why do you get so, why can't you stop attacking these good spirits and angels? And yeah. they say, we don't know. This rage just comes over us when the divine, uh, we see the divine sphere around a good spirit or angel. It makes me wonder if there are spirits deeper in hell that are connected to them who mm. are, are sort of inspiring that rage. And if you talk to those spirits, they would know right away what their yes. thesis is on why they hate it. Because I think you could do that with your own negative thoughts. It's like, why do you have this? What are you getting at? And you can kind of drill down into what's the thesis for each of those. But it seems like we're not, there's another layer at least past these spirits. Yeah. Well, I feel like that newcomer could go back to those intelligences and they'd probably be able to explain it to him. You know, Man, and <laughs> like, they would be so excited. Yeah. Oh, so great. So after that, other angels appeared in a shining white light. They were the angels who see means in terms of the purposes behind them and see results in terms of the means that lead to them. The angels in the heaven directly above the three groups. So those angels come down and that shining light rolled downward through spiraling turns, carrying a ring of flowers and placing it gently on the head of the newly arrived spirit. Then a voice came to him from above this wreath of honor is given to you because you have meditated on heaven and hell since you were young. It's like the end. I was I was worried to say that because it seemed, I, I thought we were done like two or three stoppages ago. Yeah. But there's just more and more. Well, that's, that's fun that that, it mattered that that, you might think, what have I ever done with my life? I just sat around and I didn't really go that far in my career or with my relationships. And what is this person getting a wreath for? Thinking about, wondering, wondering. Yes. That you, we are going to give you, we are obviously, we are pretty happening angels. We are going to give you this really nice accessory coming from heaven with a ceremony. Why is that? Because you cared. You thought about heaven and hell. So you yes. just, it just goes to show that. You never know what matters and that there's so much depth in every human experience that, that can be a value even when it's not producing an obvious payout in the natural world. Yes. And this uh, such a sweet culmination for this newly arrived spirit to get this little uh, flower wreath. I bet 
he maybe wasn't expecting that, but after spending a few weeks in the spiritual world like he has, maybe he's getting used to, you know, sudden and unexpected things happening. <laughs> yeah. And going uh, from being kind of an outcast in his wondering when he was, if you think way yes, back a couple of weeks right. ago to... He was like searching, trying to find anybody. Does anybody know what delight is? You know? Yeah. It just seems like nobody's interested in the quest like he is, but turns out there's a whole rewards tier for being interested <laughs> in that quest. That there's a whole... corporation that's got all these different research divisions that no 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 if you know where to look your the things you care about are well represented in the human race in in heaven that's right he found his people he found the (laughs) people who love to meditate on heaven and hell (laughs) you know like he does good point and that's that's so great i will say i do wonder about it's like is this like swedenborg writing about his own experience you know in terms of a this idea of a protagonist being this newcomer you know is Swedenborg the newcomer I don't know or is he just witnessing a newcomer it could be I don't know probably who knows I wonder about that sometimes you are going to get a wreath for wondering about that at some point (laughs) thank you thank you (laughs) call back so well wonderful that concludes our first ever spirit story and we will begin a new spirit story when the podcast is back on May 9th. And to all of you listening, you'll know that that's like a couple of weeks from now, but keep your ears perked since you may get a little bonus recording between now and then from inside off the left eye. And right now you can remember that tomorrow is our very first ever souped up Swedenborg live show. So we have a sort of new and improved live show uh, experience coming to you on Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern time. So a new time, but we have lots of fun things lined up for it. So tune in. It'll be great. You get to have live interaction, be on the chat and engage with us uh, live that way. So that's happening tomorrow. And So yeah, thanks so much, Curtis. This was super fun. Yeah, my pleasure. And I'm going to head now to the NCE spotlight to pick up Jonathan, but there is a really nice uh, cushioned bench in the hallway you can uh, take a little nap on while he and I catch up, and then we will catch up with you afterwards to see where Swedenborg was this week in history. All right, all right. Just shake me if I don't wake up initially. Okay, good. We will. (laughs) We have made it to the NCE Spotlight. Here we are, where we get to shine our light on the discoveries being made in the work of the NCE. And as usual, I have with me Dr. Jonathan Rose. Welcome, Jonathan. Thank you. Nice to be here. Yes, I love getting to come do this pretty much weekly visit and hear what you're working on and what that means for all of us. Yeah, I've got some more little gems that I picked up in the course of editing Secrets of Heaven, Volume 3. And um, uh, they're just, they're beauties. I love catching these little little gems. Yeah, great. So the first one is kind of hints. I, I had already suspected that this was Swedenborg's approach, but here was kind of a one of those aha passages where, oh, he said it. He, he said it straight up. 
Yes. This is in Secrets of Heaven 2333, subsection 2. He says, Clearly, the inner meaning cannot reveal itself unless the individual words are explained according to their consistent symbolism in Scripture. Mm. That's it. But just that word consistent, that kind of explains why in Secrets of Heaven and other volumes, he is so often showing you, well, here's a, a random quote from Hosea and here's something from Habakkuk that you never heard of before. And, you know, yeah. what, what is he doing? He's showing you that it has the same meaning everywhere it applies. So even though it was written by dozens of different authors over, you know, mm-hmm. hundreds and hundreds of years, thousand years, uh, the language is the same. The symbolism is the same. So I love that word consistent in there. Yes, that's cool. Another one is, um, you know, when we feel like we're sort of um, upset at the way that we're being handled by the divine or we don't think we're getting a fair shake or something like that, sometimes I think about things that um, the Lord is doing for us that we have no idea about, no concept. We didn't even know that was a thing. That's always comforting. Secrets of Heaven 2269, about the relationship between good and evil. And I love these. um, uh, This is sort of how good and evil feel about each other. Hmm. If good and evil tried to come together, goodness would spit evil out as poisonous. (laughs) Interesting. Mm -hmm. And evil would spit goodness out as nauseating. Kind of interesting. Yes. <laughs> to to goodness, evil's yeah. poison. To evil, goodness is nauseating. And True, then yeah. he adds this kicker that I, I just, to me, it's sort of a sad thing about the universe that good and evil are in this constant battle and, you know, that never resolves or something. And, right. But listen to this. The Lord provides that this kind of hostility exists between evil and goodness to prevent them from ever mingling. If they did, <gasps> humankind would be destroyed. Interesting. Isn't that wild? I, that really kind of blew my mind to think the Lord is carefully making this really annoying <laughs> battle <laughs> that constantly goes on between good and evil because although we may resent whatever's going on in our lives. We have no idea how bad it would be if they mixed together. In fact, I think we're often kind of trying to, or by nature, we sort of mix them up. We're kind of children of chaos. And mm-hmm. and uh, he's very careful that there be a nice hostility between the two. And when that's there, <laughs> good, good. That's good. Things are, things are right. All's right with the universe. Oh, that's so interesting. I feel like... Uh, the, I love when perspectives like this kind of shake up your idea of, you know, subvert the sense of like, oh, no, why is life the way it is? But actually, there's this like essential <laughs> reason why it is the way it there's is. There's this really good reason. And it's just yeah. tucked away in this little passage. You know, you might sail right by it, but uh, it's really fun to find these gems. Mm-hmm. And then I have one more in Secrets of Heaven 2379. Great. And this is an interesting one about our state if we're good people 
and we're in this world, there's an interesting and there's kind of two pieces to it. So he's, he's speaking about um, people who are devoted to goodness. Mm-hmm. In their souls, people devoted to goodness associate with angels. As a result, while they're still alive in their bodies, they are also in heaven. Mm. I'll pause there. That sounds great. That's mm-hmm. phenomenal. But a lot of people hearing that might think, well, I'm not in heaven, so yes. <laughs> I must not be a very good person or something. But, oh, no, wait, there's a caveat on the end here. Hmm. As a result, while they're still alive in their bodies, they're also in heaven, even though they do not realize it at the time and hmm. cannot feel angelic joy. Oh, oh. <laughs> Sad, isn't it? It is kind of sad. But by nature, while we're still in this veil of tears, we can't, you know, and I find that striking because I think sometimes I feel angelic joy, you know, not all the time. But yes. But what do you mean cannot? And then he continues, after all, they are taken up with bodily concerns and are being prepared Wow. And what that last bit makes me think is that the preparation naturally and necessarily involves this condition in which you're connected with angels. You're actually in heaven, but you don't know it. You have no idea because you're being prepared. And a lot of the preparation is to see the... um, garbage that's in your lower self or to see things, you know, coming to the surface and, and all that. And so you're distressed about yourself. And uh, But actually, if you're not experiencing being in heaven or angelic joy, actually, it could be really good news. <laughs> yeah. Or that comfort that you can trust that there is this part of you being, you know, protected in heaven, even when you're just feeling like, what? Where is this? You know, I have no experience of angelic joy or whatever. Right. I was told, I was sold (laughs) this bill of goods. I was told it'd be so great to walk this path. I'm not feeling good, actually. And uh, so it's a comfort to hear those those perspectives. So every day when I'm doing this editing, I come across these little nuggets and and they're so fun to collect and and hopefully they... um, awaken an interest in our listeners to um, seeing this material when it comes out not too long from now. Ooh, that's great. Well, yeah, I feel so lucky to get right. We're getting little like advance, you know, uh, exposure to some of the new translations because you're reading them. And yeah, so I love it because that, you know, speaking of those correspondences in the Bible and this this necessary time of preparation that we have go really well with where we're going to be going this week in history to see where Swedenborg was and what he was up to. So shall we head on over there now? Let's do it. All right, here we go. All right, here we are, Curtis and Jonathan. Hey there. Hey, you know, I was uh, listening through the door to the last segment that you guys were doing. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. And it, it was really clarifying for me because now I understand why I can't go into Jonathan's office like that. 
because um, <laughs> good and evil can never mingle. <laughs> the hostility. I won't say which is which, but it, it just, it all made sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Well, see, isn't it great? Life just makes more sense when we understand it and then we can be happy. It's with just, our place. I'm telling you, the writings make it clear. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, pull your seats together, guys. And here we go uh, in our little portal to travel back in time. This week, we are still going to be hanging out in 1745, which is where we've been for the last couple of weeks on our little traveling adventures. And what we are doing this week is adding another dot to this constellation we've been developing of what Swedenborg's experience of spiritual awakening was like, and really this major shift he's just gone through where you could even say he received his commission, you know, this sense of really strong clarity with, um, you know, uh, having that vision of the Lord directly and then setting off on this journey to write these theological works. Um, and so where we are this week in history around the end of April is there is this transition going on where he stops writing worship and love of God. And then he's moving toward this directly biblical study. And uh, we explored this sort of trajectory of him going from worship and love of God and getting more and more biblically focused uh, in our episode number 14, which is called The Link Between Technology and What It Means to Be Human. And in there is a conversation Jonathan and I have about it. Because it's in this year, 1745, in the summer, he writes this little unpublished work called The History of Creation, which is this sort of first foray into him uh, sort of, you know, comparing his idea of what the creation story means with what the biblical text says. And, and then in November of this year, he really gets going and starts writing the uh, word explained. And so this week in history might have been the time where Swedenborg was beginning to study Hebrew. And that is interesting because he didn't know Hebrew before, right? Like he would have studied classical languages, but would he have had any exposure to Hebrew really or other than like a cursory familiarity with it, do you think, Jonathan, at this point? It, there's a remote possibility that he studied some Hebrew back in college, which would have been a long time ago. Mm-hmm, right. Uh, his brother-in-law actually was a, a professor of Semitic languages and things like that. Mm. Um, but we don't know for sure whether he took that course. And if he did, he doesn't seem to have retained much of it because he definitely needed kind of a a refresher and really goes back to the basics. Yeah. And so... Last week, we talked about how that was the week when he really started having what he calls continuous speech, you know, where he was having daytime visions. And really, his ever since that vision with the Lord that we talked about two weeks ago in the podcast, his spiritual eyes are kind of just fully opened now. You know, all of that preparation has been done, and now he's having open and sort of ongoing interaction and awareness in the spiritual world and the physical world. And so how is that connected 
to him starting to study Hebrew. And we kind of can connect these two dots because we have this letter that Swedenborg wrote to a good friend of his named Dr. Beyer. And he wrote this letter in February 1767. So I'll read it to you guys, an excerpt from it that's that relates. So here's what Swedenborg is writing to Dr. Beyer in 1767, you know, so 20 years later or whatever. Several questions have been propounded to me by your friend, to which you will please to receive the following as an answer. My opinion concerning the writings of Burma and L. I don't know who the L stands for, but he says, I have read neither. I was forbidden to read writers on dogmatic and systematic theology before heaven was open to me because unfounded opinions and inventions might thereby have easily insinuated themselves, which afterwards could only have been removed with difficulty. Wherefore, when heaven was open to me, I had first to learn the Hebrew language as well as the correspondences according to which the whole Bible is composed, which led me to read the word of God over many times And as God's word is the source whence all theology must be derived, I was enabled thereby to receive instruction from the Lord, who is the word. So it's so interesting that he couples this sense that when heaven was open to him, he got clear that he needs to learn the Hebrew language as well as the correspondences, which, you know, uh, according to which the whole Bible is composed, he says. So And then we know that it was at this point where he hadn't spent a lot of time studying the Bible because he has been writing Worship and Love of God, but not, uh, you know, he needs to sort of even reacquaint himself with what the biblical text actually says about the creation story and everything else. Uh, and, And so he's talking about Hebrew and these correspondences. So I wonder, is he like, did he get that sense from the angels, from the Lord? You know, like he's, you don't just get correspondences directly from the Bible when you just read it. Like he needed that, his spiritual eyes being opened, which they were now. And so somehow those two are working together perfectly where he's got the Bible as his foundation and his spiritual eyes being opened. And then this, you know, kind of magic can happen from there. He must have had some kind of consistent spiritual resource he could go to to pick out what these correspondences were. But it wasn't like a magic download because he had to work at it just like he had to work at learning the earthly counterpart of the Hebrew language. It gives me two thoughts. Um, uh, One is just thinking of his Bible indexes, which he did at that time. Mm Mm-hmm and are massive. I think there were six or seven of them, and they certainly run to thousands of pages. Mm. And so when he says he read Scripture over, he, he didn't just read it. <laughs> yeah. You know, he indexed it for himself. I mean, that's wow. a deep kind of level of reading. And you see him writing down all the passages that have the moon in it or, or the sun or the stars and all that. He's starting to map the correspondences. The other thing yeah. it makes me think is that... Um, I never thought of this before, but what a great way to get a fresh look. You know, he's been anybody in Europe at that time was highly exposed to the Bible. You go to church every week, you hear it. There's right Sunday school or, or whatever it is. You know, you get instruction at the dinner table every evening, and and there's a lot of exposure. 
but it's all in a particular mindset and frame of reference. And so for him to be able to dig back into the original language and kind of read it through a new lens, yeah, uh, I'm not in the same situation Swedenborg's in, but uh, when I started reading Swedenborg in the Latin after I went through graduate school, in the facsimile first editions and the first editions, and uh, it just did look quite different. And so I can kind of hmm. relate to how a new language can give you a new insight, especially because uh, Hebrew's the bedrock of the Old Testament. You know, I mean, that's what the whole thing is built on. And so uh, he didn't want to just do it via some somebody else's translation or somebody else's say-so. Which matches the fact that he's just saying, well, I didn't read these other theologians because that would have, you know, filled me up with all, you know, opinions and, and things that might have led me off track. But so similarly, it, it kind of matches that there's a parallel there. And how about that warning that he got, that it wasn't just, you, don't, don't waste your time, but the, you can't go and read this dogmatic Christian theology because if you do, even once heaven is open to you, it's going to be hard for us to get it out of there. Yeah. And how was that communicated to him? You know, was it just right. sort of a reluctance in his gut or, you know, was it a more specific warning of some kind? I mean, it's really interesting. Right. The fact that he's saying, yeah, I was forbidden before heaven was open to me. Like, okay. I don't know. <laughs> Providence or something. Chicken or the egg. Yeah. Right. <laughs> And in his um, uh, diary, it's called Spiritual Experiences, there's a page, it comes after number 192 fairly early on, mm -hmm. where he's got a whole page of all the Hebrew, the seven conjugations, and he's laying them all out. So you can kind of see, even in his manuscripts, that there's evidence of this study of Hebrew going on. Wow. Yeah. And there is so much to be explored there, I feel like, where, you know, I haven't spent a lot of time, barely at all, in, in his work, Word Explained, because that's this enormous uh, multi-volume unpublished work that he does ahead of when he starts Secrets of Heaven. But understanding this history and this context, like, it gives me just a whole new appreciation for his process and what he must be going through, because also these like you were saying, Curtis, these angels maybe want to be conveying, have all this interesting information to convey about correspondences and the way the spiritual world works. And yet they kind of need him to have that natural, that knowledge base uh, to be able to work through and his engagement, you know, like for him to, he is so driven, he's willing to make these enormous Bible in, indices to, uh, you know, like just I just can imagine the angels are probably just thrilled, like, wow, this person is doing the work. We can really work with this, you know, and inflow and, right. and give him, fill him in with all these correspondences and stuff. And what we talked about in the last uh, segment, uh, that sets the bar pretty high, the idea of consistent symbolism. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it doesn't do enough to say, oh, well, here I think this sword means this. You've got to kind of get it to work Everywhere it comes up, explain to me, what is this doing in this passage and that passage and the other passage? And, and so it sets the bar high, but he's, by doing his indexing, he's able to see all that at once and just look at all the sword passages and 
reflect on them and, and get some insight from heaven. Wow. That is so cool. I'm, gosh, am I glad he did the work. <laughs> it's shocking how academic the whole opening of heaven was for him. Right. Yeah. Learning a new language. Yeah. But that that was part of it. It wasn't, okay, so how do you open heaven? Well, it wasn't just be nice. It wasn't yeah. go and sit in the woods until you get revelation. There was a very mm-hmm. Swedenborg way to get into this particular state and it's it had to be that way because as as you know the the forbidden nature of the the other theological texts to him it's it's a very difficult technological trick to to get access to heaven you got to have your the machine of your mind balanced just right and so this could be just more insight into why Mm. was it swedenborg well he might have just been in the exact right cultural and mental and academic configuration to get uh, a revelation this detailed and thorough. Yes. Yeah, and Dr. Byer says it took years. Yes, right, that there was this whole preparation, because it's in another letter that Byer is writing to Nordenschuld. Um, That's right. And he says a preparation had to proceed. And what the nature of this was, he gave to us to understand very clearly in a memorandum, which he's talking about this letter that I just read to you guys, that Ah. there was this preparation that was him having to uh, study the Hebrew language uh, as well as the correspondences. And and so, yeah, that's amazing. Somehow it makes it seem more legit, doesn't it, that it took the work of years to build up his end, you know, a satellite in himself so he could receive those signals accurately. Swedenborg has had his particular mission, but I love that there is this sort of personal takeaway of like, there's work we have to do and we can be willing to do that work and we kind of hustle and then the Lord and heaven can really use that, you know, and guide us. Well, thanks so much, Curtis and Jonathan. It is always a pleasure to talk to you both. This was super fun to explore. Yeah, thank you. Totally. We close out each episode of the podcast with a Swedenborg-inspired song. If you have a Swedenborg-inspired song you'd like us to share, you can email us at offthelefteye at gmail.com. Submit your song that way, and if you give us permission, we would love to showcase your Swedenborg-inspired music in the podcast. So I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode of Inside Off the Left Eye. Thank you for listening. We'd love to have you subscribe to the podcast or even review it. Doing so helps others find the show. So for this week, we're sharing a song by our very own Curtis Childs. I remember when Curtis first dropped this video on the then-fledgling Off the Left Eye YouTube channel. And with it, I myself felt creatively liberated by it. And it really did spur me on to sort of new creative heights for my own music creation, which I just love that about music that when you create music, you might not even realize the impact you're having on inspiring others. So that's partly what I hope this segment can do for you. And so at the time, Curtis tells me that when he was making this song, there was a video on YouTube called 
something like why I hate religion, but love Jesus. And that video was going hugely viral at the time. And so when he wrote this song, he was trying to tap into the energy around that conversation and wrote this very piece called Religion Means Nothing If You're Still a Jerk. (laughs) So (laughs) Curtis wrote and performed the music and created this masterpiece in GarageBand. And his brother, Matthew Childs, who is Off the Left Eye's video art director, he planned and executed the awesome music video that you can watch on YouTube. And I dare you to try to watch that thing without getting chills. It's just so great. So I'm Chelsea Odner, and I look forward to being with you next time we're inside off the left eye. But until then, here's Religion Means Nothing If You're Still a Jerk by Curtis Childs. Enjoy the music. Peace. Please believe that there's a lot of human need And a lot of hungry bellies that could do without human greed And a lot of people packing churches looking for a seed Hoping for a higher love to patch up where we all bleed And they're there to learn And it's a perfect opportunity to say Hey, we're all God's children and pump love and aid into the community But what they get is politics, us and them and judgment of the sick And then we use God to hit each other Like God's some kind of stick Religion means nothing if you've got it But you're still a jerk For me you and the planet buddy It doesn't work Religion means nothing if you've got it But you're still a jerk For me you and the planet buddy It doesn't work Exhibit A Human ego Selfishness and it strives To subjugate, manipulate, and criticize Other people in their lives It's got territory in each of us And it's looking to rule And if it's in charge Religious concepts are just another tool The way religions go to war Is the way countries go to war It's the way people go to war For whatever they want a war for The mentality and the method here are all the same Isn't that odd? It's cause it's the ego driving all of it The religious covering is just a facade Religion means nothing if you've got it But you're still a jerk For me, you and the planet, buddy, it doesn't work Religion means nothing if you've got it But you're still a jerk For me, you and the planet, buddy, it doesn't work You took faith over love And that sticking to your interpretation of the plan Was higher on God's priority list Than the agony of your fellow man Why is there so much anti-religion stuff on the message boards? Cause there's a bunch of really mean people out there Saying, hey, I know the Lord You say belonging to a club is the way But man, love is the way It's not a ritual you do It's not some prayer that you say The world has open hands Looking to you for wisdom But they find none And let me remind you in a few lines Just how far you've fallen from You were meant to tell us that there is meaning in experience, an antidote for the cold, healing from our flaws, marriage, body and soul, a higher purpose, a message in the weather, and a divine protector who can string these hearts and moments together, and how love in the eyes holds the potential and eternity, and the still small voice say, take, come and learn from me, and yes, you'll see them in the wild again, they were never just the flesh, and I'll hold, and you'll smile again as we watch the death of death. And kindness is not a weakness, it's the holy core of life And blood and competition too will pass as epiphanies grow from strife And you are no accident, you are precious and you'll be fine In short, the most beautiful thing
things that you can tell a conscious mind is not about doctrinal boxes or what you say or how you appear but this when you walk in do people say oh thank god you're here religion means nothing if you've got it but you're still a jerk for me you and the planet buddy it doesn't work religion means nothing if you've got it but you're still a jerk for me you and the planet buddy it doesn't work